are the branches. It's interesting we find that parallel again when Paul is writing to the church at Rome. In Romans chapter 11, he begins talking about an olive tree. And he says of the olive tree, he's talking about the children of Israel being the good olive tree. And, uh, of course, we're Gentiles. And he says we're wild. What he called us, wild. But uh, the wild olive tree. And, uh, of course, the Lord in his mercy and his arm brought salvation to us. He took and Paul was writing, said he grafted us in. We were cut into, grafted into the good olive tree. Paul was writing and he was saying, now unless you, and I'm paraphrasing, go read Romans chapter 11 and you'll, you'll get it all. But he was speaking to the Gentiles and saying, don't forget this. Lest this great gift and this great privilege you have of being grafted into the body of Christ lest you forget that you were a wild olive tree that was bought and grafted in by the mercy of God he uses that word mercy it was the mercy of God that God saw fit to, to bring us and give us opportunity to be grafted into the good olive tree and he reminds us that Partly, it was for a purpose of provoking Israel to jealousy. Because we sort of took their place. Because they didn't recognize the true vine when he showed up. But he reminds us that's only for a season. He uses the word until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. And so... There is a fullness of time that will come for us. At which point then the Lord removes the veil from Israel and they're grafted back in. Uh, I am thankful tonight. I am thankful that he saw fit to graft me in. You understand when he placed you and I in the body of Christ... When we were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, when we took on his name and then we were filled with his spirit. He was doing in us what his entire plan was to do for Israel. You understand on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, when they received the gift of the Holy Ghost those 3,000 that were added to the church after the 120, and then the 5,000 that were added after that, they weren't Gentiles. They were all Jews. They were the good olive tree. But they began rejecting the word of God, rejecting the truth of the Messiah, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as Jehovah has come. 
Jehovah is our salvation. That's what Jesus or Yeshua means. Jehovah has become our salvation. And so the Jews rejected that message. Of course, the Lord meant for the message to go to all the world. That's why in Acts 1, he said that you would preach the gospel beginning at Jerusalem and then to Samaria and to Judea and into the uttermost parts of the earth. And, of course, we see that fulfilled when Peter started in Jerusalem with the apostles. And then, of course, in Acts 8, Philip is in Samaria, the fulfillment of that. And then they go on beyond into Judea and, of course, the uttermost parts of the earth. The Apostle Paul was a man called of God. He was a Jew. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, the Scripture says. Touching the law, he was perfect. And he was rejecting the Messiah. He was so rejecting the Messiah that he was persecuting the church. The Jews that were receiving the message of the Messiah, the fact that the anointed one had come, God had robed himself in the flesh, had come like he said he would. They had crucified him and he'd risen again. Paul was going about persecuting them until the day on the road to Damascus when he saw the Lord. The Lord stopped him and blinded him. The Lord spoke to him. He heard the Lord speak to him. He asked who it was and he said, I'm Jesus that you persecute. And so after the revelation, Ananias praying for him, scales falling from his eyes, him receiving the Holy Ghost, being baptized, Paul immediately begins to preach that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that he is God that has come in the flesh. He is the one that we learned of in the Old Testament. It was him. We did miss it, but I now see and I know. And this man who had learned at the feet of Gamaliel could declare the Scriptures with authority and understanding because he'd had spiritual revelation. And so here he was declaring this. Messiah has come. His name is Jesus Christ. Some heard, but many rejected Paul. Finally, at one point, one city, he is preaching. The city comes out, and the Jews. A few receive, but most reject the message. But the Gentiles, they're moved, and they come and say... Would you come again and tell us this message? Declare this to us again. Paul finally makes the determination to step fully into the calling that was on him, which was a ministry to the Gentiles, we know, because the Lord spoke that to him. Paul says, you've rejected him. Fine. I'm going to the Gentiles. And he begins to declare this gospel message. It was the mercy of God making a way to graft us in. But it's for a season. It's for a season. Read Romans 11. It's for a season till the fullness of the time of the Gentiles comes. And then he is turning to Israel. And all of Israel will be saved. It's in the book, Romans 11. They'll be revealed. I want to make sure I don't dismiss my season or take for granted this season. Amen. Aren't you thankful for the mercies of God that grafted us in? Read that tonight, tomorrow, Romans chapter 11. 
don't know why that's stirring in my heart tonight. I'm just thankful. I am thankful. Would you thank the Lord with me right now? Jesus, we are thankful. We are thankful that your arm is not short. But it is long-suffering to us, Lord. Not willing that any should perish, but that all, that all would come to repentance. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for revealing yourself to us as common men. Thank you for the revelation of who you are, the mighty God in Christ Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yala Santo Reaba, Serelebe Kononisha. Yara Tiolo Sitabaraka, E Orotoyema. Iriesendeleki, Arataye. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. I'm asking Bishop to come. Amen. Praise God. Well, we have missed being here. There's no place like home. No place. Um, so we took a little trip. Some of you knew that. Some of you maybe didn't know that. But my wife and I went to Italy primarily, spent a few days in New York. But uh, we had a nice time for the most part. <laughs> but I have to tell you honestly, you know, there's times when you, you have a memory that kind of uh, – Sometimes memories are better than reality, but memory presents something to you over and over as though, oh, you just, you've got to go and experience that again, and then you find yourself in reality thinking, huh, it was better in the memory. I mean, all I could think about was getting there and getting my wife a cappuccino because I had a memory uh, that was so... Uh, you know, it was such a great experience for me. And then, you know, the various foods and things like that. And I'm thinking, every time I had a cappuccino, it just didn't hit the spot. And then every time we had a pizza, nah. And so I begin to think about um, you know, for me the most fulfilling one of the most fulfilling things in life is the edification that comes in the interaction of the body of Christ. And, uh, you know, things are nice to see and things are nice to look at. And they, uh, they bring us uh, a certain amount of enjoyment. I'm saying this because everybody that, you know, when I would tell people, yeah, I, you know, we're going to Italy or I was in Italy or something. And they'd go, oh, I'm thinking, well, I've been dying to get home after about four days being away. And so it was an endurance test knowing we were there for a season. There, there really, is, to me, is no place like home. And 
home typically is where your loved ones are, your family. And, uh, yeah, I did have my wife with me, and we enjoyed our time together, but we have a lot of kids. We have kids and grandkids, and so we miss them. And we have you. We have the body of Christ, which is a family of God, which I am a part of, and so I miss terribly being with you and some others, but I'm just saying, the, you know, sometimes the world pitches itself to us in such a way that we think we are being sold short because we, you know, haven't gone or we haven't seen, and, and I'm just telling you, there's a lot richer things in life and in the kingdom of God. Um, you know, the electricity is different over there. You have to use this a little adapter or else. And uh, I had some bridge work done when I was in the Philippines, you know. And so I use a water pick. And my wife had bought this little set that had a mobile water pick in it. And so I'm thinking, oh, great. I get to take this with me and I'll have it. And I always feel fresh. Uh, is it, maybe this is too real for you. I don't know. And the first time I, you know, used the adapter and I plugged that thing, I knew what it should sound like. You know, I, I knew the speed that it should be operating. And when I plugged that thing, it went. And I thought, whoa. And then it started smoking. And I pulled it out really quick. Now, I don't know if it's still good or not. I haven't plugged it back in yet. But I thought, wow, that was a rude awakening. And it happened on the very first day. A lot of different things there. People drive differently over there. You've heard the term maniac? They drive like maniacs. And I actually rented a car. And... Uh, it, the experience improved after a little bit. But what's different there is they hardly had any traffic lights. They have circles. You know, like we have down at the Valley Mall. We got those couple of circles there. They got them everywhere. Almost every intersection. But their signs are better than ours. They seem to have signs on the circle that you can tell where the first part, the first exit of the circle, the second exit, and, and all these signs. If you want to go to a town that's like 70 miles away, you just got to find the first sign. Because at every intersection, there's going to be a sign that points to that town. I thought that was pretty good. We went up into the mountains one time. Uh, I hope you don't mind if I just take a little bit of time here. We went up into the mountains one time, which I had not been, and they had houses. There's a lot of, you see that building out on Washington that says Italia Stone? Well, I can tell you why. They've got stone like you cannot believe. The mountains are made of stone. Well, the houses were made of stone. You know when we, we put shingles on our roofs? They use rocks this thick, cut in the shape of big shingles. I, I couldn't believe it. I had to get closer and take a look. 
Anyway, I thought that was interesting, unique. Um, you know, the first time that I went to Italy was 10 years ago, and it was because a friend, an acquaintance had moved there that we'd been involved in ministry with, and they believed that their ultimate end run was to go to Italy. Pedro Guzman's married to an Italian woman, and so they were there. Uh, Brother Nick Johnstone and I made a trip the first time I went, and then um, Elder Hart started making trips over there, and some of them were at my bequest. You know, I was asking him. I didn't want to go, and I asked him if he would go, and he would make connections over there, but in that process at that time, something happened, and there was a resistance to us being there from the brethren, not, not from Pedro, but other brethren. Uh, and so there was something that began to resist us, and we even received uh, phone calls from those in authority and saying we'd rather you not go and speak in conferences over there and meetings and I hadn't done that but there was just this you know it was more than men there was something that was just resisting our being there so I hadn't been there for almost 10 years and so I just want to share with you just in part here that when we hit the ground in Milan, there was a lot of spiritual resistance. I'm not talking about, you know, people pushing or talking or, you know, being crude or mean. But there was a spiritual resistance that we could feel just being there. And so it made it a little bit awkward in the beginning. And uh, that went on for a week. It escalated uh, with each city that we went to. And uh, there were times when I would get up early in the morning and go out into a plaza area. I'd tell my wife, look, I'm gonna, it was before, dar- before dawn, and I would, I'm going to go out and I'm going to pray. She would look at me sometimes, and I'd be sitting at a table, and she'd say, are are you having a good time? I'd say, yeah. She said, you don't look like it. Well, I, I knew my, my, my being was responding to all of this external pressure and pushback at the very fact we were there. Well, well we were just kind of vacationing as far as we knew. But so I would go out and pray in the, in the morning, and when I was praying, I kind of thought maybe, you know, there would be uh, some warfare that would come on me as I began to pray. And there was none. There wasn't even a whole lot of inspiration to pray, but to just sit there, just be there, or just walk there. And so th- through the process of this, and now over several days, and never feeling really to engage anything spiritually, which is not typically my way. But 
I just, I didn't feel anything from the Lord to, to engage, but I felt specifically to be there and to go to these various cities and just be there. I didn't have any understanding of that until about five days into it, early in the morning after I'd been up all night long, it lifted. Now, it was so extreme, it was so easy to know that it lifted. Because it was pressing in on every part of my being. And it was then for about the next hour that the Lord began to talk to me about what I felt like he showed me was that there were, there were times in Scripture when the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the presence of God, when it was with the people of God, it brought blessings to the people of God. But it was when it was taken by the Philistines and it was in the... Uh, it was brought in before other people, then it would be bad for them. They weren't supposed to have the Ark of the Covenant. One time they placed it actually in, a, in their temple, and it was the temple of Dagon. And when they came in the morning, Dagon was, you know, <laughs> praying before the Ark, <laughs> face in the dirt. Well, they set it back up, and uh, the next day they came in, and Dagon's head was cut off, his arms were cut off, and they were running. And of course, that was that was relative to just the presence of God being there. Okay. I've shared that when I was in Jerusalem one time, and I was. Standing there looking at the wailing wall, the western wall, where a lot, you know, a lot of people would gather and pray and, and touch the wall and put prayer requests in the wall and do all this. When I was there, it was a different experience for me because as I stood there, the Holy Ghost checked me and said, you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. I'm not coming back this way again. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Well, that, this is the new Testament principle. We are the temple of God. If so be that the spirit of God dwells in us. And so while, you know, I'm musing over all of these things, I'm realizing I am where I'm supposed to be. He's brought me to this city and then to this city and then to this city. There were three and eventually four. But in these three cities, I was just supposed to be there supposed to do anything you know there were the time there were times when the lord spoke to the people and said you just sing and praise me i'm going to be the one that fights the battle and i'm not saying that the lord told me that in that moment but what i knew was whatever was happening in the spirit world it was his thing it was his deal all I was supposed to do was to cooperate by being, just being there. When, when it lifted after five days, it was a week later when I began to make some contact with some people. 
And the Lord absolutely swung the door wide open. A door that had been closed for, more, for almost 10 years. Would you pray with me right now? What is it that walks into your office when you walk in there? When you walk into a classroom and step there, what is it that's housed within us? That's presence fills us as a vessel. As I started to meet with uh, various individuals, local pastors, um, and uh, go out and spend time with them, it was the most amazing thing. I would spend four and five hours with them, go home very late at night. One man got on the phone, called another guy in another city, and he said, you need to you know, go connect with this guy, and ended up spending the whole next day with this other guy, and that by the time, you know, our trip was done, we, were, we needed to go to a hotel. He took us to the hotel by the airport, and he said, we've got a congregation here, and if you would go tonight, would you come and speak? And I did, and the Lord moved in a marvelous way. And, I, and then, you know, now, now they're wanting to schedule me in all these various churches. Ten years ago, they didn't want us in the country. Now something's happened. I, I suspect that there's some timing involved in this. It wasn't because we weren't doing something or we were neglecting to do something that we hadn't done, but there was a timing involved. Now, I'm telling you this because in our lives, in your life, there are situations that you can look at them and think, that why isn't this uh, working? Why, why aren't we accomplishing more in this particular area? And it w maybe would feel that there are things that are opposed to you or your progress. And I'm telling you, it's just probably timing. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Okay, I'd like to go to the Word of God here. Um, Book of Luke, chapter 22, at verse 31. When we visited with the Guzmans on one of the uh, Sundays... And we're in service with them. Uh, it was a wonderful experience. Their, the depth of their worship, you know, really speaks to the ministry that's been going on there, ongoing. Um, just wanted to report that to you, share that with you. The book of Luke chapter 22 at verse 31. And the Lord said... Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you 
that he may sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Now the Lord knows about us the things we don't know. He knows where we are. He knows what we may see as our strengths. He knows just how strong they are. He knows, obviously, our weaknesses. He knows what's ahead. He knows how we will react to certain situations that may be just ahead. He knows. And so he, he knows Peter intimately, and he is talking to him and sharing with him that there is an influence in this world that is wanting to offset you. He desires to have you to sift you as wheat. He wants to Treat you in situations that will affect you in ways you you can't even imagine. But I prayed for you. Now, he, he didn't pray for him that, you know, he didn't bind Satan and say, you can't touch Peter. He didn't pray and say, uh, you know, be loosed from the... Influence that's trying to conquer you and defeat you. He prayed concerning his faith. Okay, now. When thou art converted, strengthen your brethren. He said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. Well, that's bold, isn't it? And maybe if we were to, you know, poll the room tonight, you know, how's it going? Well, you know, I'm here. He said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou hast thrice denied that thou knowest me. He said unto him, when I sent you, oh, wait, no, I want to jump over now to verse 54. Then took they him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house. And Peter followed afar off. You know, Peter, who was really, you know, ready to go with him to prison. Peter, who was ready to give up his life, is now following from a distance. When I was reading this tonight, I was remembering a a season of time when, you know, when I when I was 
single, and I came to the Lord when I was single, 22 years old, and I had all the time in the world. I lost my job. I could cut, they gave me a key to the church. When other people had to work, I could go to the church and pray in the prayer room with no other voices, just me. And it echoed throughout that building because of the wooden floors. I could walk around the sanctuary and just read my Bible. I had lots of time to dedicate and commit, and I was new. And I lost my job. Well, in time, I got employed again. And you know how employment pulls on you, pulls on your commitments, pulls on your time, pulls on your whole life. But you know, you got to work, you got to have a job. And then, not long after that, I got married. And, uh, you know, of course, we're both serving the Lord. So we're building our, our marriage on the foundation of, you know, living for God. And, of course, we were still very young. And I was still rather new. And uh, then we started having children. Well, that was a blessing. But it also was one more thing that was pulling on me, my time, my attention, and, and, and where I used to be able to show up an hour before service. I could be in the prayer room a half hour before everybody else came in to pray for a half hour before the service. Man, I was on top of the world. I felt like I'm probably the most spiritual guy there. Not really. But I, 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 I've never forgotten that season. And then as I got employed and then I got married and then I started having children, we struggled to make it to the service before it started. You know, just diaper bags and got to get all this and all of that. And, you know, my hair, you know, about my wife's hair, not me. <laughs> Getting ready and trying to get there and it became more difficult. And then my hours changed. They started wanting me to, you know, leave town at three in the morning, four in the morning. And so... I found myself, I remember, you know, kind of hanging my head coming in 15 minutes late. They're just getting at the end of song service. Sit down, get everybody situated, you know. And they're kind of looking at me like, what are you doing, you know? And so I would participate wherever I was asked. And then it seemed like it would go a long time because. All I could think of was, I got to get up, I got to get up, I got to get up. And then they'd start talking about going to Denny's. Or Mel's. Oh, no. Mel's was better than Denny's. Denny's, it was a 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning to, before you got out of there. Mel's, midnight. But I remember coming to a place in my life and in my walk with God that I was just going through the motions because I had all these things pulling on me and I was struggling to stay consecrated. I was struggling to stay committed. And I wondered at times if I was, you know, kind of where Peter was at. He thinks he's doing great, you know. He's making it look good. He's making an appearance. 
you know, he's shaking all the right hands. Praise the Lord to all the right individuals. Praise God, you know. But getting out the door and getting in the car and saying, come on, we got to get home. When Peter should have been the closest, he was the furthest away. He was afar off. And before he knew it, he was talking to people. You know, they were, they, somebody built a fire, and he sat to warm himself. And they, they said, aren't you one of those guys? And he said, uh, no, no, I'm not. And the very same individual that said, I'm ready to go to prison with you. I will surrender my life for you. And now he's saying, I, I don't know. that guy. I don't know that guy. And can't you imagine that every time Peter spoke a word out of his mouth, he, his mind must have raised and said, how can I be saying this? What's happening to me? How does this? And how does it fall so quickly? Three times. One after the other. After the other. One time when he denies the, the Lord, the, the cock crows. And I don't know how, where it was in the distance, but the Bible says... And Jesus looked his way, and he looked there. I suppose their eyes met, and he knew, he remembered, and heard those words again and again and again and again. I remember times when my pastor and his wife would express words of caution to me. You know, when, when, when my pastor's wife, Sister Leslie... When she would say to me, take the time, you know, come to me and say, I was praying for you the other night. She wasn't doing that just so I knew she was praying. What she was saying was, God gave me a concern for you. And I prayed that prayer. But what she might as well said is, you need to come in a little closer. You're getting out there a little ways. And you're, getting, you're allowing distance to come between you and the ministry, you and the Lord, you and the body of Christ. Let's pray, could we? Hallelujah. Come on, he knows, he knows where we are. He knows where we are. He knows when we're in trouble, he knows where we are.
He's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. That we would draw nigh unto him, that he could draw nigh unto us. Come on, let him close the distance. Let him close the distance tonight. remember the progression of that prodigal son that left the father's house he, he, he put distance between him and then his lifestyle seemed so extreme for the life that he'd lived to the place that he didn't even know how he got where he was But when he turned, the Lord, or his father, representing the Lord, his father went to meet and embrace. If, if you'll work towards closing the distance, he'll meet you there. He'll meet you there. I don't know what it is sometimes in life, but it's... It, it, you know, sometimes in the natural, it feels like, wow, it seems like I'm so far. I, I don't, you know, I'm here, but I just haven't felt him the way I, I want to or I, I had in the past or something. You know, things happen in life. Why don't you close the gap? Why don't you come into this altar right here? Why don't you make an expression to him? Lord, you know where I am. You know what I'm dealing with. You know what, what I'm going through. I need you. I need your help, Lord. I need your help, Lord Jesus. I can't do it on my own. I need your help. to you in my step. I draw nigh to you in my prayer. I draw nigh to you when I make petition here tonight. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah.
thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. You are a repairer of the breach, Father. We worship you and we praise you and we thank you. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. I'm thankful for the supernatural ability of God to close a gap. Supernatural ability of God to close a gap. But think of the scripture. He's a repairer of the breach. He's a restorer of the paths to dwell in. He does that. It doesn't take. We can we can move away over time, but it doesn't take him a long time. As we said, when we turn, he can do it in a moment. Aren't you thankful? For you thankful? Can we thank him together tonight? Come on, lift up your head. Lift up your head. Lift up your hands. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, my faith is in you and what you do. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. God bless you. Reach someone, you're dismissed in Jesus' name.